Welcome to the Oakcrest Podcast Channel. Oakcrest School in Vienna, Virginia challenges girls in grades 6 to 12 to develop their intellect, character, faith, and leadership potential to thrive in college and throughout their lives. On today's podcast, Dean of Students Megan Hadley, Oakcrest Class of 2006, shares how grade-level experiences form students throughout their journey from middle school to graduation. Oki dad, Philip O'Byrne, shares examples from his own experience of how to utilize elements of Oakcrest's educational vision to promote curiosity, virtue, and wonder in the development of your daughters. I'll start off by saying that each family has its own culture, right? its own uh, esteemed values, its own traditions, and its own way of doing something. It's not something that we often articulate, I, I don't think anyway, um, but you just know it because when you go and spend a holiday with someone else's family, it feels different. Um, so you can think to yourself right now, and maybe it's a good conversation for with, your spouse, with, with your spouse, what are the three most important values or ideals that you cherish as a family? Another way of thinking about it would be what are the three things I want my kids to, to really, really internalize before they fly and kind of go out into the world? My brother Greg came up to me the other day and he said, do you think Hadley's like humor? And I was like, no, I don't think so. I don't think particularly. I think everybody likes humor, right? Everyone likes to laugh. And he said, well, my, my girlfriend's his girlfriend, Samantha. Samantha's family, they don't really value humor. It's like, <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> I was like, Greg, you're, that's, that can't possibly be true. Everyone values humor. Um, and then sure enough, she was there that weekend. So we were like, Samantha. Tell us about your family that doesn't like to laugh. No. Um, <laughs> and she goes, no, it, it's true. It's, it's not kind of a goal in our family to make other people laugh. We like to laugh, but it's not something that's kind of highly valued. So I was like, oh, maybe we do like humor. Um, and so then and even just in thinking about it, what were the values that my parents tried to instill in us? Not, uh, not kind of as by accident, but very intentionally, and I was thinking that work ethic was very, very valued in our family, as well as a spirit of adventure. That was something that they really incorporated in the activities that we did, um, and just even the conversations we had around the dinner table. So thinking to yourself, kind of, what are those most important and cherished values in our family? Um, taking the time to reflect and articulate them can be really helpful, because it helps us clarify I would say prioritize, and then also kind of recommit and re-energize what we want to be doing with our, with our children, and really our commitment to those values. Um, I think it's helpful to do it with some frequency, because uh, it's not kind of a one and done conversation. It's not like when you got married, you're like, we want X, Y, and Z, and then it happens, it like manifests itself. Well, no, obviously it's coming back to those things. So the same thing as a school, we have our own culture. We have our own traditions. We have our own way of doing things and our own values. And it's not something that I think the students would necessarily articulate, but you just know it because when you go to other schools, some that shall not be named, um, it just feels different than when you come to Oakcrest. Um, hopefully, and when you walk in the doors, I mean, I've had people tell me that. You walk in and it just feels different. So basically last year, a team of us took the year and took the time to reflect and articulate this vision for our school. Like Mike was talking about, it started with this core kind of document, the educational vision. And it wasn't, it was very fun, first of all. It was very fun to kind of get 
at, for once to be able to do some big picture thinking because so much of the day is just like in the weeds. Um, but to clarify and prioritize the vision, not necessarily reinvent it. I mean, I'm an alum. I, w I started here in 1999 or whatever it was. Um, and it was there when I was here too, but really just to better articulate it. And then really after articulating that educational vision of what is our liberal arts curriculum, we set out to say, how does that manifest, how does that happen in each grade? This is a liberal arts education at Oakcrest. Well, then it's, right? How do we make this um, come to life in each grade? So what you have kind of in front of you is a little bit of the, that work. Um, I would say that we're a school that knows its mission, and it was really about asking ourselves the deep questions of how do we deliver this mission um, over the seven years, right? Like we hope that an Oki is here for seven years and that from sixth to 12th grade, they're getting an integrated curriculum, an integrated formation and character um, that is building on itself. So just like a person is integrated body, soul, intellect, they're not piecemeal, we really wanted to be able to articulate how our education is not piecemeal. It itself is integrated, and it's in conversation. All the elements of it are in conversation with each other. So the little cheat sheet chart that you have, it's on the back of the half sheet. It's kind of what I'll, basically what I'm gonna be talking about um, in abbreviated form. But you can see here that we came up with the, the kind of, we articulated the educational vision, and based off of that, we also, um, refined the theme of each grade, right? So you can see there the theme really expresses the unity in the curriculum that year. So the theme is kind of a, an academic theme. And it, it really, it, um, the books that they read in English class, the materials they're going over in theology class, they all have an element of this theme. Then the three virtues, right? And those virtues really work in conversation with the curriculum as well as the developmental stage of that age. And then the Oki ads. And that was kind of a fun one. So we have this portrait of a graduate, and we've had a portrait of a graduate for you know, probably decades. Um, but it being, sitting down and saying, okay, these are our hopes and our dreams for our graduates. We hope that when that girl walks across that stage, that she has certain characteristics that she's learned here. But then the question, the natural question was, well, how does she do that? Right, how does, when are we focusing on different elements of the portrait of a graduate to say, we just don't cross our fingers and say, I hope she gets there, I hope that she's a, a noble citizen, I hope, well, it can't work like that. So really taking a look at the portrait of a graduate and saying, um, in this year, based on the curriculum and based on their age, this is what we're gonna focus on. Uh, so the goal was really to take an integrated look at student life, at academics, at mentoring, at extracurriculars, and have all of these in conversation with each other to get a sense of like seventh grade. What does seventh grade look like in Oakcrest? Um, each one, I'll say that it was interesting because on the one hand, you wanna um, you wanna capitalize on the strengths of any age group, right? If you have an eighth grader, you know that your eighth graders have a very acute sense of justice. <laughs> they, <laughs> They just do. It's right at the stage where they, they're starting to think abstractly, right? But they don't quite have nuance always. So they tend to think in black and white sometimes. Well, that's a perfect age 
to be doing their most courageous American contest, right? They love discussing a virtue like courage. Um, so they're good at that. They're very, very good at justice. They're not so good at other things. And so it was also an element of like, where do we want to draw the eighth grader higher, right? A little bit, stretch them a little bit. They're really good at this, let's capitalize on that, as well as call them to just stretch themselves a little bit in a way that they're capable of. So that kind of is the first three um, columns on that chart. Um, and then the last one is kind of the, the bulk, I guess, of what I was going to talk about. So the educational vision that is in the course guide, um, you can find lots of different places, part of it says that what is true and good is not only learned through reasoned argument, but experienced through images found in history, literature, songs, dance, poetry, etc., that allow the student to grasp truths intuitively, find pleasure in them, and feel an affinity for them. So it's this idea of helping our students develop an affinity or a taste for the true and the good. Um, lots of people know the good, the true, and the beautiful, and they are not necessarily lovers of the true, the good, and the beautiful. You can know them intellectually and not love them. So with the grade level experiences, which I'm going to talk about, the goal was to say, how do we develop through experientially the girl's desire for the truth of the people? They have to grow to want them. You can know all about them, and they learn about them in the curriculum. They also have to want them. So as you, I'm sure you know in the context of a family, you can't have like an infinite number of traditions. Um, my sister-in-law and brother are young. They've got four kids four under four, they've got their hands full. But they're at the stage in life where they're starting to develop their family traditions. And my sister-in-law is, I love her, but she's like, my friend said that this friend does this for birthdays, and then she has this friend who does this thing for birthdays, and this friend who does this, and like, Becca, you can't do it all, right? You have to kind of decide how are the Hadleys, your Hadleys, gonna celebrate birthdays, right? And it happens organically and whatnot, but there is an element she's trying to kind of think through what does she want her traditions to be? So that was kind of the process that we did last year, especially. How can we articulate what we want, these kind of rites of passage, these traditions, these experiences that the girls will have every year be at Oakrest? Um, so we were trying to be very intentional because these grade level experiences, we hoped that they were gonna be born from our vision and our, and our culture and also help, re, um, help contribute and reinforce our culture. Um, so really, we work with the faculty to articulate and in some cases re-envision the experiences that were going to be at the core of each year. And there was kind of, I mean, it, it's um, stated there in the grade level experiences vision document of what were kind of the, the check marks that an experience had to, to fit in order for it to un, um, kind of fit our understanding of what would achieve this goal of making them want the good, the true, and the beautiful. So a couple that were there was, you know, they, they are often in conversation with the curriculum. They're meant to strengthen the solidarity of the community. They're meant to be non-consumerist, so it's not just like receive, 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 receive. They're meant to be active and not passive. So the girls have to have some element of like an active role. And they're, they're meant to kind of have a, a rite of passage quality to them, that they look forward to them, um, they want to do them. So 
it was really fun to do, and we've had, we're, we're, we have some imminent ones that are coming up in the future that we're super, super excited about, as well as a few that have, we've already done this year that have just been really, really nice. So I was just gonna highlight three of them for you, just to give you a sense. So the sixth graders are called Acorns here, and they're working on an Oppressed Field Guide. So it's an interdisciplinary project, it's year long, they're working on elements of it in their art class, and in their science class, and in their math class. And it's basically um, having them explore their new home, right? You're new to this campus, you're new to Oakrest. What does it mean to be an Okie? Well, part of that is exploring where you are. So I, my office is down here, and I can't tell you how many days I've had sixth graders squealing as they like, they're making a, um, a map or a scaled map of Oakrest, the building and they're out there measuring things, and it, it's like wonderful, because it's all the things. It's a sense of wonder and play, which is so important in the sixth grade. They're getting to know their new home, they're setting down roots here, um, and they're having a lot of fun doing it. I can personally attest to that. Um, so they've been working on that all year, and at the end of the year, they're gonna have a product that they can show, this is like their okra skill guide. They're doing um, local flora and fauna, so they're doing sketches, they visited Meadowlark several times, which is just down the road. Um, like native Virginia flowers, so it's, it's really, really fun. They keep, they're keeping track of, um, there was a coyote for a while that was, um, and there was six goslings, and they were very concerned about the goslings. So every day they're out there checking to see if that coyote, I just got a report today, the co there has been another coyote sighting, and they think they know where he's coming from, this, this property over here, and they can see his den, I'm like, oh my gosh. But they're out there, and they're literally exploring their new home. So, that's for the sixth grade. For the eighth grade, one that's coming up is this um, old rag hike. So this grand adventure. They're going to cap off their eighth grade year with a hike up old rag. So if you've never known, if you don't know old rag, beloved local hiking destination, and um, they're going to do all the work for it. What do they need? They're carrying their own stuff. This is not like a cushy, like we're going to cater the lunch for you when you get back to the bus. <laughs> sort of situation. Um, and then they're going to cap it off with a bonfire and a dinner that they're going to make. Um, at someone's property right by Old Rag, under the stars, providing your own entertainment in, term, in, form of, in form of music and whatnot. So it's just gonna be a really authentically fun experience that hopefully, I mean, it might be hard for some of them, I'm not gonna lie, <laughs> I'm like, ah. um, But this idea of like, we're all in this together, man, we're all getting to the top, so we gotta figure out a way to get this class of 32 girls up to the top of Old Rag. Hopefully don't lose anybody along the way. Please pray for me. So then the last one I wanted to highlight was this past November, we had a lovely Thanksgiving celebration hosted by the juniors. Um, in the past, the juniors have hosted the entire Thanksgiving lunch for the entire school, which was becoming a little bit untenable because we have so many students and that we just have more and more and all the mothers are like, we have to make a turkey tomorrow, like I don't want to have to make a turkey today. Um, so instead we kind of switched gears a little bit, we, we shifted a little bit. And the entire junior class hosted their sister families and their teachers for um, homemade pie and cider. And really the focus of the day was gratitude, which is one of their virtues, as well as this idea of service to others. So um, they're really focusing on kind of what it means to be a trustee of humanity in 11th grade in their theology classes and whatnot. And here it was really this, the receptivity of women to, to host and to... Um, yeah, just to care for others. And it was amazing. I was kind of nervous because they were a little bit bummed, I think, that they couldn't do the kind of the traditional Thanksgiving lunch. I was like, we'll see how this goes. 
and they jumped in with two feet. They made personalized name cards for every single person in the school. There was intergrade tables, so everyone had a seating chart and they were mixed in with all sorts of people. They provided entertainment that was <coughs> sublime to the ridiculous. They read Lincoln's you know, uh, Thanksgiving proclamation and the feedback I got from both students and faculty was like, that was so nice. It was so nice to actually be hosted by a class and they, they focused on conversation starters at the table. They really acted as hosts. And I was like, this was just really lovely to see it kind of play out, almost like how you envisioned it. Like, this is amazing. So why do you care? Why is it important that you know all this? Well, Phil will talk more about that. But just like fathers, I think, have kind of a role in determining their family culture, by choosing Oppress, you're choosing our culture as well. And so I think it's important that you know it and kind of come to internalize it. So uh, I think definitely that you can foster these virtues, the themes, the ideals that we've laid out for each year. Um, and so I was hoping, I mean, this, this little cheat sheet chart, I mean, fold it up and put it in your wallet or put it on the fridge or put it in your car where you can see it. I know it because I've lived it, you know, for, for um, many months now. Um, and obviously, as an alum, I've kind of been steeped in this mission for too many years than I want to admit, since I was like 12 years old. Um, but just kind of familiarizing yourself could then inform the conversation that you have with your kid when she comes into the car on the way to the basketball game. Um, or the class, you know, if, if you know she's reading a particular book for her English class, you have a sense of maybe some of the themes or virtues that the teachers might be highlighting in it, and you could also highlight it. Um, or just conversations around the dinner table. So it's so, I think, it's crucial that that baseline level of trust and conversation is there when it's not when it's not important, if you will. I mean, it is important, but when there's not some kind of big reactionary conversation that you need to have, because then when you do have to respond to something, that baseline of trust is there. You already talked to your daughter, uh, and so when you have to have a more serious talk, um, it's just a lot easier. That's what I find anyway. So, Phil, take it away. <laughs> Incredibly insightful, and uh, the amount of thought that you and your team have put into this is just tremendous. And as an Oprah's parent, it's very humbling to see how much care and thought and concern uh, the school is putting into our daughter. So thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. Uh, nice to see you all, some of whom I know, some of whom I've been meeting for the first time. Um, even arriving tonight, I was reminded how much uh, care and attention to detail Oprah puts into virtue formation because the elevator button has a little <laughs> sign on it. Right, that says 10,000 steps a day is recommended for a healthy lifestyle. These elevators are not for students. <laughs> Detentions will be issued. Right, so they start with maybe you should be called to the higher. By the end, it's like we will put you in jail. Elevator. So the little girls that have to read all the way to the bottom, maybe the seniors stop after the first one and take the stairs. So I thought that was good. Um, so, uh, my, my aim tonight is to share some thoughts about how we as dads can try to help at home and with our, with our wives as parents at home reinforce and participate in this very purposeful uh, examination of how are we looking at certain virtues for our girls at different ages and where does it fit in their experience at Oakcrest. And I'm a little nervous that this is being filmed because I'm just going to copyright infringe. All I'm going to do is repeat things I've heard at other talks from parents who are better at this than I am 
put, and whose ideas I've stolen and used, and I, I thought they worked and were, were worth trying. So um, with that, I'll start with something that I heard from Ginny Bowles' parents, who came and spoke several years ago at Oak Crest and gave a wonderful talk, and Mrs. Bowles used an example of how we can instruct our kids by what questions we ask them about their lives and their day in just the little things, right? So the example she used is when your kid gets in the car to, to drive home or you know, walks in the front door, if you just ask, how was your day, that's not, that's not really eliciting anything, right? And if the questions are phrased on what happened to them or what did they want or what went wrong for them, they're the focus of those questions and they're learning that what, what they should tell you and what you care about is, did they have a great day or are they feeling good or could things have gone better for them? And she said, I like to try to mix in questions like, anybody in your class kind of struggling these days? Anybody use an extra hand? You know, do you have any friends who sort of seem like they're down? And it orients the child out like, oh, actually, yeah, Johnny was a little upset. Okay, maybe tomorrow, what could you do to, you know, cheer him up? Or, hey, what's the name of that new girl in your class? Oh, Susie, how's she doing? You know, is she, is she acclimating? You know, I heard her mom's not well. And just showing the child that you prioritize in asking what's going on, how are other people doing, and get the, you know, kids are self-centered, as we all can be, getting their minds sort of oriented out. And then obviously we can use this wonderful chart and kind of work in even more specific examples. So if we know that, that for the younger girls, you know, order or generosity or friendship are what we're working on, you know, how do we think about talking to them about their day and the year and their teachers and whatnot in ways that reinforce that? And that's something that, I, that really stuck with me when she used that example, and I've tried to do it, and, and hopefully it's working. Um, the second idea is rehearsing, right? And there's, I was in the Army for a little while earlier in my in a previous life, and the Army tries to follow a rule that if you give somebody a certain amount of time to complete a mission, you should spend one-third planning and two-thirds of your time rehearsing, because plans are great, but they always go wrong, right? And what you actually need to do is say, okay, when we try to do this, how are we going to do it, right? And so... The girls are going to find themselves in situations that call for patience, friendship, generosity, you know, all the different uh, wonderful, great, specific virtues. So how can we uh, tee up for them in their minds, use their imaginations to say, okay, if order is the virtue, okay, you're going to have this big project, what are we going to do when the teacher assigns it? Where are you going to put it? Right? Or if they're having frustrations with a friend, okay, next time, you know, she'll explain to the bad day because these two friends are not getting along. Huh. Okay, when does it normally come up? Well, it normally comes up after lunch of who sits with who. Okay, tomorrow, if it happens again, what are we going to do? What do you think would help? Right, and they can kind of think through so that they're not caught off guard. Right, my mom used to be very big on who's the new kid and make sure no one eats lunch alone. She would always ask, like, anybody eat lunch alone today in the cafeteria? We don't let that happen. So if you see some, if you walk in the cafeteria and you see someone sitting alone, go sit with that person. And sometimes I'd be like, oh, that's a weird kid. But I could hear my mom's voice in my head, right, as opposed to just letting the eighth grader decide, how am I going to be nice to somebody today? None of us are doing that as eighth graders, right? And in fact, I was deployed, and it was a lieutenant that I knew was a really good guy, and I watched it happen. There was a private who nobody liked over here. There's six guys sitting over here, and he was a platoon leader, and he called them over, and I could hear, because I was sitting, he said, guys, what do we talk about? They're like, sir, he is the worst. <laughs> I said, I don't care. Nobody eats alone. And he said, okay. And they like slide over and go sit next to him, right? He had instilled that in them. Um, and they knew what they were supposed to do because they, they planned He told them what the standard was. So how can we rehearse situations and help them apply these things? 
The third thing is, and this gets to, uh, to indirect examples from stories, right? How can we use conversations and open up our adult lives to them in ways that highlight these things? Because they're kids, they don't have a ton of imagination for what adult life looks like, right? How are you living perseverance in a law firm, right? <laughs> what does dad do, right? You ask like three-year-olds what their parents do when they're not in the house and you get some funny answers about, he drives around. <laughs> well, I do some work, I managed to do some work in between being in the car and coming back, right? But they don't have a great sense and my folks used to do this at the dinner table, and when you use yourself as an example, people roll their eyes, right? I had this thing that required me to be really patient, and then I was. Right? We're all very impressed. Okay, fine. But to tell the story and say, you know, I have a colleague who really messed something up and, and was pretty embarrassing, and he had to call the client and say, look, this, this got, we missed a deadline, it's a problem, I'm going to try to fix it, uh, and the client was mad, and he had to take his medicine, gonna be fine, but I tell you what, I was really impressed with how he handled it, because it's not an easy thing, but you know what, it's the right thing to do. That is a new, that's entering them into the adult world of what is this actually gonna look like when we're all out and about as adults, and my kids are much more interested in stories about other people than me just droning on and on about what they should do, or telling them how your mom and I do it all the time, right? They also know that's not true, because they live with us. <laughs> how can we, you know, Take looking at, again, the age-specific virtues. How can we pick uh, an example to use, you know, anonymous enough so they don't realize it's like the neighbor that did it or whatever. <laughs> Fortitude, perseverance, right? Someone's got a difficult, you know, colleague who kind of they, they don't enjoy spending time with, but they're going out of their way to check on that person, fine. <clears throat> and then uh, the fourth one is what's our curriculum at home, right? What art are we consuming as a family that is going to reinforce the curriculum at school? Right? We're watching movies, we're watching TV shows, we're listening to music, we're listening to musicals. Can we purposely try to reinforce and pick you know, a biography or a movie about a historical figure? The heroic, Amer the most courageous American contest, I love it. At least these debates in our, in our house about who is more courageous and then they pick two immensely courageous people and they're like, come on, Abraham Lincoln was way more courageous than Michael Murphy, the naval seal from Lone Survivor. I don't know, they were both very courageous. <laughs> the girls were just like, no, come on, he was nothing. Okay, let's not take it, let's not get out of hand. But their imaginations really are captured by stories like that, right? So can we, you know, pick, and you name it, there's sports movies, there's historical movies, there's, my kids love listening to books read out loud, biographies about somebody, but, you know, we're going to go to the museum. Can we try to come up with some way to reinforce their minds and introduce them to art or leisure or entertainment that it is, or at least have a discussion afterwards about it. Like, hey, what did we think? Why did that guy, why was he a villain? What could he have done differently? You know, how did he not exhibit X, Y, or Z? And they have a lot of thoughts about these things, right? Increasingly, in movies, you can't tell who the villain is anymore, right? So, like, well, who do we, do we think that was right? And even Pixar movies are gonna have something that we can be talking about and, and highlighting if we kind of try to take what they're learning at school and apply it uh, in, in a more active way, not just kind of passively be letting you know, whatever we listen to or watch kind of flow over us and distract us. So those were a couple things that came to mind uh, that folks have recommended to me or that we've seen uh, help a little bit. And, you know, Oprah does such a wonderful job of setting these girls' minds on fire and loving what they're learning and their teachers and their classmates. And so it's easy for us to kind of try to put some more logs on the fire at home. So uh, that's my story. I'm sticking to it. <laughs>